<laughs> Yo, what's going down, gang? It's your boy Phantom Fuego, P-H-A-N-T-M, P-H-U-E-G-O. And you are tuned into the news, views, previews, and reviews. With just a twist of his, get a point of view. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hope everybody's having a good week, man. Interesting times, interesting times, interesting times ahead. Interesting times, interesting times, interesting times ahead, boy. You know I'm a I'm a March baby myself. You know my B day in a few days, so that's dope, man. And it's like, how do I reflect on that, man? How do I how do I feel about this upcoming B day? I don't know, man, you know, shout out to my moms because it's really her birthday. You know, she brought me into the earth, to this plane of existence on that day, to this realm. And, you know, shout out to to my dad, too, wherever he may be. Never met the man. But, you know, if it wasn't for that seed, I would never be able to experience this world. So, I, you know, regardless of whatever relationship I may never have with those people. Yeah, because I don't have a relationship with my mom neither. Because I know a lot of y'all, oh, damn, that's fucked up. His pops never met him. Never met. Oh, you know what? I'm lying. I met my mother. We've had a couple phone conversations. I seen her in person maybe like once. And that was it. She sent me $50 one time. That was it. That was really like the extent of our relations. Like, like that was really the extent of our relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, the absolute extent of it. That shit really tears me up inside to this day, y'all. I can't even hold you. It really bothers me. It makes me feel like, damn. You know? And I'm not going to lie. I blew up at her. You know what I'm saying? Because I was really hurt. I was really sad. Like, I grew up in a fucked up condition. And, you know, if you wasn't... I feel women need to really stop and think about this. Like, if you weren't going to... Be able to take care of a child. Then you shouldn't have one. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, that's easy to say. That's easy to say. Uh, uh, but damn. What what is a what is you what is a child to do now? You know, what is a young man to do now? What is a what is a man to do? You know what I'm saying? With that information as he gets older and progresses through life. Of course, that's going to always be something to bother you to, to 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 have negative effects on you. You know what I'm saying? But, um, hey, what do you do? What do you do? You know? Figure out ways to move forward. You know what I mean? So I don't really like it when I always hear dudes getting the bad end of the stick. Because I'm personally the example of a mom's who didn't give enough. You know what I'm saying? And now, and it's like, okay. Well, she was young. She made mistakes while she was young. Now she's older. 
You know what I'm saying? Woman, you know, she has other children. And she's into social work, which is crazy. Like therapy, social work, all that. And so when I blew up at her, it's funny that in her social work didn't kick in. No, she just dismissed me out of her life. You know what I'm saying? Um... just dismissed me on her life and instead of trying to have a good relationship with me you know and understand where I came from she was she just kind of went to the woman who she gave me to gave to raise me and asked her well did he have a good life and of course the woman is going to say yeah because she got paid to raise me so why wouldn't she but had she really known what I had been through, I think she, I think it would probably have really <clears throat> hurt her. And I wrote her a letter one time, like trying to explain everything I had been through. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if she read it or she didn't. But you could tell that it probably. If she did read it, it probably left a bad taste in her mouth. Like, damn, I let my child go through that. And if she didn't read it, you know, it is what it is. But um, shit is just crazy out here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think anybody should bring children into the world until you're ready to take care of those kids. And if you do that, you know, when you're when you're older. When you're in a better place in life, because my mom is in an extreme well-to-do position for herself. I don't even really feel comfortable calling her my mom sometimes, but it is what it is. And I have to respect the fact that, you know, I come through her line. You know, she is my heritage. She is my ancestor. She's my elder. And I, again, I really do appreciate being alive. Don't get me wrong. But of course, you know what I mean? I always hear all these songs about, I always love my mama, she's my favorite girl, dum 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 dum, and mama, you're the queen of my heart, your love is like tears from the stone, mama, I just want you to know, Come on, sing it with me. Your love is like food to my soul. I can't sing for shit. But come on, man. Y'all be hearing these songs, man. Y'all be hearing these songs. And even though you was a crack fiend, mama, you always was a black queen, mama. You all appreciate it. Don't you know what love is, sweet lady? Ain't no one above you, sweet lady. Y'all be hearing these songs, dear mama. You all appreciate it. Like how, what am I supposed to do with all of that? Knowing how many moms out here really just don't give a fuck about their kids. And y'all could be like, damn, that's harsh. Why would you say this woman don't give a fuck about you? Well, would you 
would you not see somebody for their whole life and then only throw them $50 when you finally catch up with them and be like, huh, that's, that's, that's me parenting you now. Here, I gave you $50 and I'm, I'm wiping my hands of the situation. And you like a social worker. So listen, I understand it probably looks crazy to her colleagues that she herself did this. And she, we're not supposed to be perfect humans, though. And I feel like a lot of the times when us trying to put on these fronts of perfection, we can really hide our true selves from people. And we get so caught up living in this lie of perfection that we can truly do more damage than good. And, and it's horrible, man. It's really horrible. So, you know, just a bit of disclosure about my truth and who I am. And, you know, I love you guys for being the audience that y'all is and, you know, allowing me to open up and express about these things. Because I feel like far too often in our society, man, it's always the pops that get this bad rap, this bad rap, this bad rap. When in reality, the reason the men are the way they are. Many of the men who may not be as balanced or as stable or as successful in life, they may be completely cool as a person but they might not have had the professional success that they wanted a lot of those things could be contributed to the instability they had in their homes i mean i was fortunate you know enough to keep grinding and pushing enough to where i got to a master's degree and stuff but i don't even honestly think that i pushed myself as hard as i could have i think with the right type of environment i probably could have been like a rocket scientist or some shit and i'm not saying that to be on no cocky shit i just feel like i had the type of brain you know, like I had like the potential really there for that. You know, I went to specialized schools coming up and, you know, so I was really geared toward excellence at a very young age. And so now I got this MFA and stuff and I'm still pushing to learn other things and do other things. But it's like, damn, what could have been, you know, it's always interesting. But we're going to take a quick break real quick. I appreciate y'all listening. This is his ghetto point of view, bringing you the news, views, previews and reviews. Well, just a twist of his, got a point of view. Ooh. And a little history, a little backdrop, a little bio on your boy, too. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. We'll be right back. Yeah, gang, we back, we back, we back. So, as always, guys, please feel free to like, subscribe to the show. Tell a friend, tell a friend. Wednesdays and Sundays is when we get to it. You know how we do it. It ain't nothing to it. So. And, you know, please feel free, gang. You know, share your similar stories with me, man. This is a safe space. And I want you guys to always feel this is a safe space. So, you know, I'm always going to share with you guys. And, you know, never feel afraid to share back. Here's got a point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. And what I would like to start doing is bring in some of you guys, the guests, um, the listeners on air, to just share your experiences, man. And um, let's figure out how we can all grow. You know, when it's an appropriate topic, if it's something you're struggling with, let's let's see how we can all grow and build with one another, man, because this is what we hear about. So if you... You know, you and a musician out there, and you're looking for some some guidance and some leadership in that direction. If you are artists in general, if you're in the business world, if you, you know, trying to get your health or your fitness game up, call in on the appropriate days and, you know, 
we're going to get to it, man. It's going to be a good time. But here's ghettopointofview at gmail.com. Here's ghettopointofview at gmail.com. Let me know what your issues are. Let me know what you're struggling with. Let me know what you're thinking about. Let me know what you, even if it's not something you're struggling with, something you just think about getting into a new field, jumping into a new project, uh, taking a leap of faith. We here for you. We a community. We a family. And this is how we build each other up. So when they try to tear us down, you know you got the team behind you. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com, family. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. All right, so we're going to start off on an interesting note today. Overtime, the uh, basketball, uh, I guess the, what'd you say, the, the content creators um, focused on basketball. Uh, particularly in the high school and college ranks, uh, some junior high stuff as well. Pardon me, gang, got some pro level stuff. Uh, but um, overtime, uh, who their main attention is given to high school basketball athletes, but they've also expanded into bas uh, football and uh, covering some really high end and athletes in football and some other sports. They are actually starting a professional league for their basketball players that they are associated with called overtime elite and it will pay 16 to 18 year olds a hundred thousand dollars a piece to play in a preparatory league to get themselves either ready for overseas or the nba uh so cnbc reports overtime is starting a basketball league for 16 to 18 year olds, that pays at least $100,000 a season or a year. Sports media company is overtime CEO Dan Porter losing his mind. <laughs> Why does he have to be losing? The sports company's founder recalled that reaction from former NBA commissioner David Stern while he pitched establishing another hoops league. Oh, so that's what they ah. Overtime announced on Thursday that it plans to start a basketball league for 16 to 18 year olds, allowing them to earn at least $100,000 per year. The Overtime Elite League will let players bypass traditional high school and collegiate levels while building their brand before becoming eligible for the NBA. And just to pause right there, other countries are all doing this. America is the only country that doesn't. America is the only country that is a okay with profiting off of the players' talents for years and years and years and years and years. While we have players like who come over here from overseas and they've already been playing professionally, getting paid, might not be getting paid that much, but literally getting paid them more than somebody who works at McDonald's or Foot Locker, getting paid a what we would consider a middle income salary of maybe a lower middle income 50 60 grand in u.s money but at 13 12 13 14 years old to play on a professional team and it's junior division while they get ready to play for the senior division most people don't realize that uh for those of you who are fans of the new york knicks or at least know about the team the new york knicks they have a player from france known as frank nidalekina not even the greatest player on the team, but because he was brought up in France, he was brought up in a professional league system out there. He's been getting paid to play basketball professionally since about 12 years old. Other players, 
Luka Doncic, another play, a very popular young player from the Dallas Mavericks, has been getting paid to play since he was like 11, 12 years old. The former New York Knicks, who's now with the Dallas Mavericks, Kristaps Porzingis, been getting paid to play since he was 11, 12 years old. A player uh, known as Ricky Rubio actually pushed coming, pushed his appearance in the NBA back several years because he was getting paid so much money to play in Spain and he was already a legend. There have been players from overseas that never even came to play in the States because they were already legendary status in Europe or some other country countries and they didn't see any allure to playing in our league. America is the only place that is comfortable making players play arguably some of their prime peak years for free some of their peak earning potential years are done for free and you say whoa but this is a sport but if the child played the cello the child could be a professional cellist if the child was an author they could be a professional author if the child was a literally anything they could do it professionally from extremely young and no one would care but the issue only becomes when it's these things that we glamorize so much we glamorize basketball we glamorize football and they are predominantly the sports that black people play. So black and brown people play in these sports. So you don't want them playing them professionally too young. But everyone else can play anything else or do anything else professionally from a young age. And it's fine. You can literally be a NASCAR driver at like 15 or 16 years old. You can play professional tennis at 14, 15 years old. Coco Golf makes hundreds of thousands of dollars and has and still gets to go to high school and you know, so I'm Naomi Osaka, same thing. Like these people were professionals well before 18. No one batted an eye. No one bats an eye. Professional, you can be a young pianist, a young guitar player, a young cellist, get paid twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars to go do some huge shows or huge touring, and no one would bat an eye. But you're a sixty thousand dollar basketball player at fifteen. It's where is the world coming? Where is the world going? And no one deals with the fact that it's only because they're black kids. No one deals with that. At some point, we got to deal with this. It's bullshit that we allow this to happen and that we're participating in slave labor. We are literally participating in the enslavement and the child, uh, the abuse of our child labor. And we do it willfully. We willfully sign children up to go be abused and have the best years of their, some arguably some of their highest potential years of earnings given away for free while the, the institutions that they play for, their high schools, their colleges, their AAU programs are all charging people to come see the games. Some of these teams also have local and national media coverage. Some even international media coverage, depending on the cachet or the level of the players, not the level of the coaches, not the level of the referees, not how shiny the building is. They come in to see the players. People pay to see the players. People buy merch. People support. Alumni come back and give checks over and over because of the quality of the players on the field in a given season. Yet everyone is crying. Why should they get a dime? And no one sees this as being abusive to children. No one sees this as being abusive to children or young people. It's disgusting. There are labor laws 
that should be set up. There should be labor laws set up to prevent this type of madness, especially seeing every other country has wised up to the fact that this is not acceptable. But for some reason in America, we sell this thing about a free education is equivalent to the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that players bring in to institutions annually. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And it's really disgusting. And they're mad when somebody's like, hey, let's do this. When LeVar Ball set up the JBA, they were mad. And that wasn't even for high school kids. You had to be a a year removed from high school to play in the JBA. So that was if your high school thing didn't work out. He was giving kids another shot. This is, we're going to just take 16 to 18 year old kids, freak high school. They don't go to class anyway. Most of these top level players, they don't go to class. I've been a teacher. I've been an educator. Top level players, they're walking around in the hallway all day. When they're not in the gym, when they're not taking a nap, they're, they're walking around in the halls. They're, they're in a guidance counselor's office. They're in the coach's offices. They take their tests and stuff, absolutely. But they didn't care about the day-to-days of class. They study for their tests. They bust out the test. They go back to, to focusing on what they feel their future is going to hold. Now, whether they become a professional player or not, you know, the cards will tell that out. But as people attempting to do something and pursue something, how do we hold them back? How do we say this is a country that allows you to pursue your gifts, pursue your dreams, pursue the things you want to push for? And we hold these players back over and over and over again. If they want to fail, if they want to, if they fail miserably, that's their opportunity. It, it should be their right to fail miserably. It should be their right to fail miserably. But anyway. In an interview Wednesday, Porter confirmed overtime would pay all health insurance and allow players to earn bonuses and equity in overtime. So they're actually going to give the players a percentage of the league. Now, if you recall, LaMelo Ball just paid over in Australia. He tried to buy the team he played for. They completely canceled it. They would rather that team go bankrupt than that black boy on that team. They would rather the team be in bankruptcy than let him own it. They had to scramble together other people to try to buy it. Just so a young black male wouldn't be able to call himself a owner. You understand how fucking disgusting that is? They they damn near gave him the paperwork and said it was a done deal. And then scrambled. No, we can't have this nigga doing this. We can't have this nigga owning this. Wouldn't be surprised if the NBA gave people money to buy the team so that he couldn't. Like, what type of fucking horrible nonsense is this? You will be a worker bee for the rest of your life. Disgusting. And then don't talk about giving equity to the players. You mean they're going to own a piece of the team? Like, what's what's wrong with that? What is Like, what is wrong with that? LaMelo Ball should own a piece of that team because he helped bring it up to the level it's at. He should own the entire team. Him and Jermaine Jackson should honestly own the entire team. It would be good for the team, it would be good for the league, and it would create a pipeline to put talent over there. But I digress. We're not allowed to have equity unless we willing to fight and die for it. And LaMelo looks like the type that's willing to fight and die to be an owner because that's what LaVar raised him to do. 
Because that's what Laval raised him to do. So the overtime elite league will let players bypass traditional high school and collegiate levels while building their brand before becoming NBA eligible. It will start in September with 30 players and we will be based in a single location, which is still under discussion. So it'll be like a bubble tournament. In an interview Wednesday, Peter Porter confirmed overtime would pay all health insurance. He recalls, yep, it's pretty interesting, the opportunity, Porter said of starting OTE. Overtime distributes original sports content on social media outlets, including Snapchat, Google-owned YouTube, and Facebook-owned Instagram, and sells apparel with its logos and branding. Most of the content revolves around high school or other amateur players, but it does not license highlights or material from major sports leagues. Why would they need to license highlights or material? They're creating their own content. Wouldn't that be hustling backwards? What's the purpose of that? They can create content. They know the players. They have people who can create content. That's so stupid. Porter and Zachary Weiner, the former, both former William Morris Endeavor executives, founded Overtime in 2016 with investments from Stern and others. Since then, the company has built a massive Generation Z following from high school basketball players. The company has over 40 million followers across the social media channels and has built credibility among NBA stars like Zion Williamson and Atlanta point, Hawks point guard Trey Young. I mean, it's easy to have those people's credibility when literally some of the owners or faces of the league, probably very minority owners, but still in all, are people like Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony. Kevin Durant has been seen on overtime multiple times, uh, ranking the kids saying who's going to be next up, who's the bright, who has the brightest future. And uh, so, of course, the younger kids who come up after that, the younger athletes who come up after that are definitely going to continue to give this thing some cachet over dime, which just done extremely well. The company says its content is streamed more than 1.7 billion times a month across all social platforms, mostly by Gen Z. Polls have suggested this group of 2013 to 24-year-olders, 24-year-olders prefers highlights and quick content, over traditional formats, and they favor basketball over other sports. Yes and no, because also some of the overtime stuff, but I'm older older than their additional target, so I could see how I might not be that. I think it's more just a what you were accustomed to doing. A lot of kids don't just don't grow up in a household where they're watching games. They grow up in a household with a moms or whatever. Um, just calling it a spade a spade. And unless that moms herself likes basketball and likes sitting there watching a whole game, it's not something they grew up experiencing. So they're not going to want to sit there and watch a whole game. Like, again, I've taught high school kids. I saw high school kids who like to sit there and watch whole games. Kids who will sit there and beg me to put on March Madness and just let March Madness rock the whole day. And they will sit there all day watching the players play for hours. So it's if you haven't grown up or haven't been experienced in that type of environment, yes, you probably don't have the patience or the, the level of focus, the concentration level to sit there for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours, four hours, and just watch people go up and down courts. And really break it down from uh, and in the particulars of it. But again, 
if you have that experience, you're fine. But many of these Gen Zers haven't. So they've curtailed and tailored their production content to people who have lower times they can focus and concentrate on particular tasks. And it's worked out immensely well. Over overtime's revenue, but you look at quickie, quick quickies that, that was supposed to be those 10 minute television shows, that didn't work. Why? Because those people who generally sit down and watch those type of television shows want longer content. So it's 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 up in the, it's all about the right audience. And you see NBA now trying to follow the overtime's path and put out full highlights of things, um, more extended highlights, highlights of every game. And even to the point that the NBA is looking for content developers to leave their own pages and to work for the NBA directly. So they're trying to transition and they see where this thing is headed. Overtime's revenue, the article continues, comes from two sources. One is indirectly aligning with brands by integrating them into its content and making money off video ads. The other is direct revenue via e-commerce, where Porter says the money, the company makes millions of dollars from apparel. They have a lot of different apparel. I, I would say that it is a focus of the company. They're always pushing and promoting their apparel. They have the players in their apparel. So I, I can kind of see that that's probably one of their main bread and butters. Just like a sports team, when you buy a hat or jersey, Porter said, people feel a part of that community and they buy apparel to represent that. We think there is a big community to lean into what is at the core of basketball for young people and create an apparel brand. Overtime declined to disclose its financials. With OTE, Porter expects the revenue model to change a bit from e-commerce and media to e-commerce, media, rights, and licensing, much like a league. He said OTE eventually wants to sell its media rights. So they're going to put on games and they're going to sell them to big stations. Ooh, not early on. We're going to take our time. I could definitely see Overtime having a Facebook, a channel like Facebook broadcast its games. Because that's, that's where their people are at. I can see Overtime having Facebook broadcast the games. Because other channels already do that. Slam does it. Uh, it's SUV TV, which puts on like uh, games from different, different conferences, does it. A lot of people do it. A lot of very high-ranking people do it. Um, Hoops in the Sun posts a lot of their classics there. But sometimes that stuff is in conjunction also with Slam Magazine, which is a very popular basketball magazine for those that are unaware. Uh, Flow Hoops, Florida Hoops. Uh, FLO hoops, Flow Hoops TV, they uh they do it. Um, I mean, yeah, the list goes on and on of different people who will just broadcast their whole events through a particular uh, social media platform, and um, that is only going to continue to go into the future. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see that at all. Uh, Lamelo Ball, the number two. It would be really crazy to me if. Leangelo Ball plays in the overtime league. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if Jello Ball played in the overtime league and was one of the main stars when it dropped in September? Hmm. Things is getting interesting. Overtime is also engaged in active talks for brand partners and distribution for the league, a new basketball farm system, question mark. Porter said he spent two years speaking with families of top athletes to seek input about OTE. He said families have expressed disapproval of the current path to the pros, where prominent colleges make millions off of talent in exchange for a free education. OTE says it will provide top education, residencies, 
and training and will offer advanced analytics of players' performance to help them improve. But the big advantage is that OTE will give players the right to capitalize on their brands while getting paid to participate. We are the only country in the world that forces you to go to high school and then go to college to become a pro athlete, at least in basketball and football. Porter says, as part of its collective bargaining agreement, the NBA prohibits players under, under age 19 from entering the league. Some players attend at least one year of college while they await eligibility, hence the popular one-and-done term. Porter referenced players like former NBA guard Brandon Jennings and Charlotte Hornets guard LaMelo Ball, who both bypassed college, as well as RJ Hampton, uh, who went number 18 to the Denver Nuggets. He was also in Australia with LaMelo Ball and is also a very good player and also a player who had his own overtime series which is actually still going called Life with the Hamptons, which is the second series I believe he's had personally of his own where all overtime has followed his life. So I think that's great. And uh, that additional coverage on him personally is only helping him build up his personal brand, his media presence, as well as making him more of a household name. All good things, all good things, all good things. Because as he grows and elevates himself and his craft, the fans that have already been rocking with him from overtime are already attached to his story. We're doing it based on the observation of how these young athletes are trying to change the system and make it work for them, said Porter. We are a big platform, and that makes us a good place to go out and find talent, Porter said. We're starting a league from scratch. We don't have any legacy overhang. We can build a model that feels like a 21st century model, both in terms of how startups and how digital companies are created. Porter said OTE could serve as a new pathway to the NBA. The NBA already has a non-college route with its G League Ignite program, featuring top high school prospects Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, among and Jonathan Kaminga and so many others. This route allows younger players to train in the program until they become eligible. Players in the NBA's program are paid between $200,000 and $500,000 while they await eligibility. Should OTE players not pursue a professional career, it will provide an additional $100,000 for college tuition. Look at that. But if youths do participate in the league, players lose their NCAA eligibility because they are receiving payment. So if you don't want to play professionally, this is this could be an excellent way for you just to find a, find the money to pay for college and not have to start out with an insane amount of debt. So you'd get the money that you got paid to play starting at hundred grand. Plus, if you want to go to college and don't want to play professionally, you get injured, what have you, they'll give you a hundred grand to go towards a college degree. So you could take that and go to a nice, very nice college where you pay between 20 and you, you find a college that will allow you to pay between 15, 20 grand a year, cover your expenses and get up, get a degree and have like 20 to 25,000 to help you eat and live while you're going to school for four years like this is i don't understand what people are complaining about it's a professional path porter said but unlike a pure farm system this is competition we expect tens of millions of people to want to tune in and watch and why do we expect that because they are already watching our on our platforms today P portland trailblazers forward carmelo carmelo anthony an ote investor and board member said many athletes aren't properly prepared for the life of a professional athlete 
We need to do a better job of empowering the next generation of players and setting them up for success, he said. OTE is leading the way on that front by offering players a comprehensive route that fully develops the athlete, not just basketball skills, but education, economic empowerment, and building their own brand. Having this type of guidance for high school players is critical in setting them up for a successful career, both on and off the court. Seeking approval, Porter said an early reaction around the league is positive and it's built with NBA names that can help OTE operate efficiently. In addition to Anthony, investors include Brooklyn Nets superstar Kevin Durant and Silicon Valley venture capital firm Adriesen Horowitz. The commissioner is former NBA executive Aaron Ryan and ex-Sacramento Kings assistant general manager Brandon Williams will oversee league operations. There is a lot of NBA DNA in this, Porter said. Of course, the NBA is... The NBA is not going to let overtime. Again, David Stern is an investor in this, guys. David Stern is an investor in overtime. This is literally just like an NBA farm system. But they're going to put the overtime name on it. So many NBA players are already connected to overtime. This is literally just an NBA farm system where they're going to have 16 to 18-year-olds go there. Then, boom, after 18 and 19, you'll be on G League at night, maybe 18 to 20. Then boom, then you go. They're literally creating the farm system right here in our faces. They're tired of players going overseas. They're tired of losing out on good talent because they have financial problems. They end up getting into other things off the court just to take care of their families. They want the best bang for their buck. They want the biggest names, the brightest stars, the most talented players, the players with the most upside to feed this system. And you know what? I'm all for it. But Stern was the most influential. He was the first investor in overtime, helping raise $2.5 million in 2017, three years before his death. R.I.P. to David Stern. Porter remembered Stern telling him to avoid starting a league. <laughs> I spent 30 years doing this. You do not want to do something like this, Porter recalled him saying. But we're annoyingly persistent, he added. As Stern watched overtime take off among Gen Z, he became convinced that OTE was a good idea and approved of it, Porter said. He said, I think not only can you guys do this, but you need to do this, recalled Porter. We were like, wow, that's a 180. That's when we felt we could do this. When you build a company in this world, you can't count on people giving you opportunities. You have to make your own way. Excellent article. CNBC did a great breakdown of this. Definitely recommend you guys checking this out uh, by uh, Jabari Young over at CNBC. Very dope article, very good read, and I don't see how people can hate on this except for saying that they're okay with slave labor and very sadly, way more people than you would think are okay with slave labor. As long as they're not doing the slaving and it doesn't hurt their bottom line and actually slave labor most of the time, nine times out of ten, benefits people's bottom line, so they are much more open to it than you would imagine but this your boy phantom fuego bring you the news views previews and reviews which is his ghetto point of view tell me what you think tell me if you think i'm bugging about this tell me if you think i don't know what i'm talking about tell me if you think that these high school players should just shut the f up and dribble and be happy that somebody know their name and that they could potentially make them some money be happy that they could potentially go to college for free be happy with any of these things do you think that they should take the opportunity to get a hundred thousand dollar check to play ball for two, 
from 16 to 18, 100 grand a year. So that could be potentially 200 grand that they could use to take care of themselves, to take care of their families. Plus, if they don't want to play professionally, they can get another 100 grand to go to college. So that's potentially 200 grand plus a college education, potentially, for those that say, oh, well, they need college. Cool, that option's available. But while they're working for them, they'll be teaching them, they'll be giving them economic advice. Sure, they'll be teaching them about the business stuff, all the things that they had to learn. The, these players, these older senior players had to learn the hard way. Now, of course, they'll get paid. Of course, they'll take some PC off of this. Of course, they'll take percentage points. Of course, everyone will benefit. Duh. 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 But if these players can finally get proper compensation, 100000 200000 500000 is really not that much to play players who generate millions of dollars. This is only going to be for the elite talents. It's not going to be every single kid who picks up a basketball is going to be able to do this. It's starting out with 30 players. Those are going to be the 30 top players. I'm sure it will expand out to maybe 50 or 60 players, even a hundred and couple hundred, couple hundred players as it expands. But it's that is not even that many people. There are 400 players in the NBA. So if they took the 400 best high school players and put them into this system, all they would be doing is preparing the people who could possibly fill in the roles of the NBA. There's millions of people that play ball. Why would we be so upset if this expanded out to 400 people? 300 people. Gave 200 people a shot. I think we just really don't like hearing young black people making money legally because we like to keep their foot on their neck. And if we can't keep our foot on their neck, if they making money, if they feeling, feeling confident, this is going to be a bunch of young, let's, let's, let's just really put these cards on the damn tape. This is going to be a bunch of young black men with money from a legal way, and we don't like the sound of that. A bunch of young black men who will have legitimate access to high levels of capital and hopefully people who will show them how to invest it so that they can keep generating capital for themselves long after their playing career is over. We hate the sound of that. We hate the sound of that. We don't like it when they buying rims. We don't like it when they buying Benzes. And we damn sure don't like it if a little, if somebody half our age go out there and buy a goddamn restaurant, we would lose our shit. We really got a lot of hate in our society. And a lot of it is targeted at people who ain't even hating on us. A lot of it is targeted at people who just want to live a better life. I think it's disgusting. And we always got some justification for it. We always trying to make it seem like it's okay somehow. Why? Look at somebody like Isaiah Washington. A.K.A. Jelly Fam Doms, head of the one of the largest basketball movements nationally, period. Amateur basketball players wearing grapes on their shirts, wearing all types of their own merchandise, selling it, getting other players all across the country to want to be a part of it. So it's building and expanding this brand to the point where you got Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving making a version of his Kyrie's and a and paying homage to the Jelly fan. So you got Nike making money off of this. 
Did Nike give any of that money to those high school kids who was out there playing on them courts, repping that brand and getting people to buy into it? No, but I bet you Kyrie made money. Did Kyrie give any of that money to them kids? If he did, now all them kids lose their eligibility. You see how fucked up this game go? You see how fucked up this game go? But you got David Stern and Adreesen Horowitz and Kevin Durant and Carmelo Anthony. All these people can make the money off of these kids. The NCAA. March Madness is here. What we talking about, y'all? What are we really talking about? We don't want these kids to make no money? Well, I'll tell you what thing. When September come, I'll be watching the Overtime Elite Series. Because I'm all about the young players getting their bag up. And if you're not, you might want to look at the demons you got in the mirror. Because maybe you're just mad that they came up and they did something that you could never do yourself. This your boy Phantom Fuego, man. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, man. So we back. So we back. And uh, as always, guys, any questions, comments, critiques, criticisms, feedback, um, stories you think I should be covering, dope people you think we should interview, his ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. H I S G H E T T O P O I N T. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. All right, so y'all gonna kill me for this one? Go right ahead. I don't care because this is, this is some bullshit. The homie Waka Flocka, who you know we've given a lot of love on this show, just finished up. What is this? Is this doctorate? This dude is, this dude is Dr. Waka Flames? Dr. Fl- Dr. Waka Flames? So listen, I, come on, man. Shouts to him. Shouts to Mazay. Everything this dude touches is dope. What he puts his hands on is gold. He got the Midas touch. All these things is real. All these things is real, and I feel like I feel like Stephen A. at ESPN right now. Like I gotta give all these caveats before I throw a shot. You know what I'm saying? Him in respect to LeBron James, me in respect to somebody who's put in enough work in these streets. Mixed had the mixtape scenes going nuts. Put out major albums that sold tons of records. Has been the host of tons of dope shows on BET, MTV. You know what I mean? This dude, this dude puts in work. Complex magazine. The dude puts in work. The dude puts in work. I'm not knocking nothing this bro does. He's a very good dude from everything I see from afar. You know what I'm saying? But respectfully, respectfully, respectfully. Let me say that three times. Walker, you got to shut the fuck up on this one, bro. You got to shut your fucking mouth. Mind your fucking business. Just take care of your own shit, King. Do things how you like to do them and not critique how other people like to do things all the time. Because we can put our foot in our mouths. And when one finger is pointed out, three fingers is pointed back at us. So we got to be mindful of that. As we, you, 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 you in to other people, we three fingers is pointed back in our direction. Meaning the more light we shine on others is also the light we're shining on ourselves. Now, Waka Flocka. 
according to this hot new hip-hop article. Waka Flocka thinks it's corny as fuck to film good deeds for the less fortunate. Now, a lot of this is stemming from how you've seen certain people on their Instagrams giving out a lot of money to the less fortunate during these times. And so when he was asked about it, he was, you know, saying he thought it was lame as fuck and people shouldn't do that. And I'm like, hold on, shut the front door. Time out, pause. I can understand his perspective like, oh, you don't want to embarrass the people. And if you're really doing it for just for a good deed, you don't need no attention on you and ah, ah, ah. All of those things are valid from one perspective. But let me kick a different perspective. Let me give you his ghetto point of view. Oh, 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 this is his ghetto point of view, right? Ideally, you want people to just help and give from a good place. And you want it to just be something people doing because they feel it's the right thing to do. And they get that warm, tingly feeling inside. They soul is feeling strengthened and, you know, they feeling good. They walking around on cloud nine. They feeling the sun. The sun just feel a little extra warm on their skin, you know. All them things is real. The warm and tinglies, the fuzzies, the good feeling of just knowing you giving back and you doing, you paying it forward because nobody gets where they trying to go by themselves. It takes a collective effort. It takes family. It takes community. It takes networks. It takes friends. It takes business partners, associates, acquaintances, favors, 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 positive energy, positive energy, positive energy, sometimes negative energy. It takes a collection of energy to move something forward, right? You got dudes like Jay Manzini. I hope that's not who he talking about. Hooking up with 50 Cent. One of my old producer professors. The great Basie Bob Brackman. 30 Grammy Basies, what they call him. 30 Grammy nomination, excuse me. Didn't win 30, but you know, the dude is killing him. Um, Most notable for his work for the Fugees and all that. I found out that the dude Jay Manzini was doing all the giving through his Instagram page. Because he was like, yo, we need more of this energy out here. Let me know how I could help. Then, I, I start following, seeing the brother doing his thing, doing his thing. Different hoods, giving out to the people at the McDonald's, giving out to frontline workers, giving out to people and moms on the street with their kids. Stacks, stacks of bread. You know what I'm saying? Coming up to them respectfully, politely, not saying, oh, come all in the camera and say, I did this for you. But just having somebody film it while he do it. First of all, you walk around with all of this money in your pockets. Why would you not have somebody filming just to make sure nothing goes crazy, goes left? That's so silly. That, to me, that's so silly. Like, with everything going on in the world, just to make sure everything goes smooth and nobody accuses you of trying to abuse somebody or hurt somebody or do something wrong to somebody or use this footage or this opportunity to try to embarrass people, why not just have somebody stand a little back and just film it? Number one, it wasn't a major production. It wasn't Mad Lights and... All these people, it seemed like it was just being done off a phone or maybe a little handy cam. And maybe he was wearing a live because you could hear his audio real well even when they was outside. 
So maybe he might have been wearing a lava or something, or they might have had an extra mic on the phone. I don't know. But, you know, you could hear the audio. You could hear what he was saying pretty well. You know what I mean? Irregardless, if maybe it was just being recorded on the phone and the phone just picking up everything. Whatever the case is. This was very low-level production stuff in the Jay Manzini situation. I don't know who else Waka could be talking about. But if he is talking about Jay Manzini, like, do you feel embarrassed that you wasn't given as much as this dude who's not known? Do you feel like, yo, he stepped on your toes and he he cut, you know what I mean? Like, he made, he made it clear that some of you dudes have money that y'all can't help with. While some people, they got their money their own way. So they could do whatever the hell they want with it. They got their money out here being clothing designers or producers or manufacturers of their own lane. So they can't have nobody telling them, no, you can't, you can't give out with your money. So tell me, like, tell me, tell me what the issue is with somebody giving back. My whole thing is most people, a lot of people out here don't have souls. And when I say that, I don't mean whether they physically have a, whether they actually have a spirit or not, or essence. I don't know that. I ain't, I ain't tapped into people like that. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is. I don't have a, I don't have the, the, the soul stethoscope or whatever, you know, but what I'm saying is there's people out here that really just don't give a damn about helping her soul and will live their whole luxurious, well-off life by their damn self and good for them. Good for them. But people like to one up each other. People like to be what's in the lane of what's popping. So if you have people like a Jay Manzini or a 50 Cent or people giving genuinely out their heart, Basie was out there, was even on IG collecting money for people doing his thing as, as tons of people were. And all of y'all need to be celebrated and kudos to y'all. And I hope that that keeps going forward. Even after this whole crazy situation with this COVID shit gets out the way, we could just start really being humanitarian again and start caring about one another again and start really making sure people out here are good because... People hiding so much pain behind their smiles in this world. It's not even funny, man. And the simple how you doing. And not just the how you doing on some surface level. Oh, this is just what I got to say to act like I care. But no, like when people really get back to having that open heart and empathy for one another, this world is going to be a better fucking place. And that's just my ghetto point of view on my rant for the moment. But so knowing that people are copycats, people like to ride the wave, people like to do what's trendy and what's hip. If you see this one producer or this one clothing designer or this one athlete doing this, doing this, doing this, what do they always do at the end of it? A lot of them. Oh, I challenge you to do this too, Puffy. I challenge you to do this too, J. Cole. I challenge you to do this too, Kendrick or Buff. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're calling out the people on their level that they know could help because that's not Unfortunately, that's not too often what we think about to do with our funds. We think about ourselves. And you know what? When you done got your money up to that level, can't nobody tell you what to do with it. Can't nobody pocket watch you. That's a whole fact. But understanding that we didn't get nowhere in this life without someone helping us. It'd be wonderful if we would just pay it forward without being called out, without being embarrassed, without being shouted out, without being tagged. And I would be wonderful if instead of Waka Flocka, Pinning this article for Hot New Hip Hop, not pinning, but giving his commentary to this article and giving his situation life. So now you got people arguing about whether you should give or not. It would have been wonderful to me if he would have just got out there and gave with them 
and not put his part on camera. And maybe he could have influenced them that, yo, fuck the camera shit. Let's just really get out here and focus on giving. He maybe he could have influenced that. But you know what he decided to do? He decided to be a fuck face. A fuck face. As intelligent as this dude is, he decided to be a fuck face and shout to him and shout them, shout the, you know what I mean? Shout to his moms. No disrespect. Like, this is disgusting. What the fuck are you doing? Bro, this is not what we need right now. So the rapper believed, as the article on Hot News, you shouldn't record another person at their lowest point in life. Motherfucker, some of you niggas got millions of dollars, and that's y'all lowest point in life. Because y'all done sold y'all soul and bent y'all ass over and took a bunch of penises in y'all rectum, and that wasn't even, you not even gay. It's not even, a, you're not even homosexual. It was just something you did to get the bag. Some of you females have had lesbian encounters with people in the industry. And it was, you're not even a lesbian. It was just something you did to get the bag. Some of y'all are promoting lifestyles that y'all don't even believe in. Some of y'all are promoting gang culture. Watching people kill each other. Participating in people killing each other. Buying people guns to kill each other. And y'all ain't even really gangs. And gangs. But y'all don't feel that's the lowest point. So you feel the lowest point is only just the financial shit. And you have a doctorate. Bro, you sound retarded as fuck right now. Since the launch of social media, there's been a great debate about whether or not it's appropriate to film yourself or others on the receiving end helping or doing something nice for a stranger. These types of posts are often refreshing break from the rap beefs and thumb-thugging wars plaguing various apps and websites. However, not everyone thinks that your kind deeds need a global audience. Of course not. But when Waka Flocka screams, Love that gun sound! Love that that gun sound! Flocka! I got a whole lot of money. It ain't nothing funny. That's it, me, that's it, That shit deserves a national audience, though, right? What's wrong with us, man? We could give that shit a national audience, but we don't want us giving people having a net. Yo, what the fuck is wrong with us? Like, seriously, man. So... Waka Flocka recently shared his opinion on the matter, and according to the rapper, it is a corny move to help or feed people in need while recording the exchange. It is not uncommon for Waka to hop on a video with a few thoughts he wants to share with his followers, and he didn't hold back this time. You know what? When I do good deeds, I don't never record or take pictures, because why would I catch a person at their lowest point in life? Ask the rapper in the viral clip. And plus, I don't need a visual of what I did right. I got to experience it. And that shit is a feeling that's something you can't take from me. But it's not about you, you selfish motherfucker. It's about the other people who may not be as inclined to help. Seeing you do that, seeing the positive interaction you get from that, seeing it may even raise your buzz. And these motherfuckers being followers and not as good hearted as you, bro, may actually follow that and be like, yo, I'm going to help too. Like, think outside of yourself, Dr. Flock of Flames. What the fuck, bro? Or or no one is thinking or take from them. That's real. That's a real human trait. So to see anybody marketing themselves, feeding homeless or feeding somebody that need help, to me, you corny as fuck, man. So do you say this when Nike does givebacks? Do you say this when when Walgreens or Target do givebacks? Do you say this when major corporations that fund you do givebacks? Or are you only talking about rappers? Because you see, that's what rappers like to do. They like they'll they'll watch Target do a giveback. They'll watch Macy's and Samsung and Apple do givebacks and coat drives and this and that and this and that. And won't say a motherfucking thing about them things being recorded, documented, put in commercials, nothing. 
they have nothing to say about that. In fact, they'll go perform for those same fucking organizations at those fucking givebacks and coat drives and rallies. They're fucking hypocritical, bro. This is fucking hypocrisy. So the only problem is when when the rappers are showing themselves doing good, when the artists are showing themselves doing something good. But Samsung, Motorola, AT&T, Apple, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Nokia, NCAA, NBC, CBS, New, you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can film themselves doing positive things, pay you guys to come be the celebrities handing out the positive things, and not a fucking word is ever said about, this is corny, they should do this without the cameras. And, 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 no, they'll even give interviews to the news people while they're there, with sometimes with silly looking elf ears and, and, and Santa hats on. Like, I don't understand this. These, they'll be in the kitchen. They'll be at the freaking Red Cross or this and that. The Red Cross could film them. The, the national, you know what I mean? The Red Cross could film them being in a soup kitchens. I don't, I don't understand this. They'll be in the soup kitchen with a hairnet and a chef's apron on. Talk about, yeah, you know, we here to help and give back to the kids. And that's cool. And I love that. And we need to see more of that. But why is it when we independently do it, that's a problem, Waka? What the fuck is going on in your brain, bro? Do you feel like you you, you can't do that? So you, you feel a ways? You feel a ways, Flocka? You sound corny as fuck, man. There have been several social media influencer artists who have built their brands and recording themselves going to places like Skiv Row and handing out money or resources to lower income homeless individuals. Sometimes those videos go viral and the public reaches out to it with inquiries regarding ways they can help as well. However, not all of these people receiving goods and services are aware that they're going viral. Do you agree or disagree? But I completely fucking disagree. Waka sounds stupid as hell. Take all this energy, bro, and get the fuck out there and do more giving. Take all this energy you got and do more giving. Because if you had time to take out your phone and attack other people for doing the right thing, even if they just being followers, even if they cloud chasing, if you really had time to take out your device and attack people for doing something positive, you motherfucking self-centered piece of shit, then, bro, you really need to get your life together. And that's just his ghetto point of view. Take it or let it alone. Take it or let it the fuck alone. This is your boy, Phantom Fuego. We're going to take a quick break. I don't care who don't like what I said. We got people out here. It's a national pandemic. We got the moratorium on. People being evicted, ending at the end of this month, the national moratorium. You got city, city and state moratoriums ending in a few months after that. It's about to be a massive exodus of people just living on the streets. And Waka talking about, oh, it's corny as fuck to film giving people money. Don't go to Skid Row and help nobody if you're going to film it. Yo, fuck you, Flocka. Fuck you, real talk. I can't even believe you right now. I can't believe his mom's is letting him talk like this now. And I'm not saying that she can control this man because he a grown man, wifed up, all that. But damn, bro, like, this was never the energy your mom was on. Why are you on it? We'll be right back. This is Phantom Fuego. This is his ghetto point of view. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gang, we back, we back, we back. So, <clears throat> Chicago, This well, Illinois, is, uh, 
Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago, is making history as, quote-unquote, being allegedly the first U.S. city to fund reparations for black residents. I don't know how to feel about this, because from reading the story, they're not really giving them reparations. They kind of just throwing them a little bit of a bag and telling them what specifically they can spend that bag on. You know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of people are behind on their rent. So they were going to throw people a bunch of bag for housing costs and say this was reparations. Excuse me, nigga. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's not reparations. That's not how that shit works. So you telling me I could take that same bag if I just agree to move? No, we have to specifically spend this on your housing costs. And, you know, get you. so you get to decide what my reparations. How is where is the freedom? So you don't think I would make a good decision with this money? Is that, or you feel like you've already airmarked some money to your friends and your cronies and you're just going to call it reparations. But let's dig in. GoodMorningAmerica.com article. How the first U.S. city to fund reparations for blacks is paying amends. Black residents is paying amends. Evanston, Illinois is a lot like it's, a, it's like a lot of American cities. The city just north of Chicago appears picturesque, updated, and grand on one side, but not far away. One can see the signs of economic and racial segregation, despite the city's proud, diverse, and liberal reputation. What set Evanston apart from other cities, however, is its groundbreaking plan to address the impact that segregation and black disenfranchisement is to address the impact of that segregation and black disenfranchisement. Reparations. The impetus for the city's reparation resolution first passed in 2019 and spearheaded by the Fifth Ward Elderman Robin Rue Simmons is rooted partially in Rue Simmons' experience growing up in black, black in Evanston. Early in my childhood, I was invited to have a playdate, she recalled, my white friend's Never had a playdate at home. At my home. Visiting a white friend's neighborhood, she noticed the streets were wider, the streets, the trees were taller, the homes were bigger and brighter. As a young child, I recognized that difference. I never felt in any way envious, she said. I never felt that. I never had that feeling like, why isn't my home doing better? It was obvious that it was, a, that it was the barrier of race that kept us from that. Rue Simmons still lives in the ward she represents. She says over time, resources were stripped away from her neighborhood that she said, coupled with a lack of investment, led to an ever-increasing wealth gap between white and black residents in this city. She hopes that her work will help families in her neighborhood that are burdened get some relief. Via reparations which will first be distributed in this year in increments of up to $25,000 per eligible resident to use for housing. So I'm going to give you up to twenty five grand to use for your housing. Reparations.
There's an excellent book that was written. It's called The Black Tax. It was recently written. The gentleman who wrote it, he's been going around uh, doing lectures. Uh, Google brought him in to do some Google lectures um, because uh, he's a, like a, he's an engineer initially by trade. And so he applied his engineering brain and the different ways that engineers compute for things, uh, short term, long term, and use mathematical analysis to show the devastating effects that slavery had on people based on the numbers and how not only slavery, but the initial transatlantic trade, but then he compounded it with Jim Crow era. And for those that don't know, the Jim Crow era lasted another 75 years, at least after slavery was done and included some 2000 plus lynchings and hangings all throughout this country. On top of that, you then have the disparity and how the soldiers from World War II were allowed to use their loans and grants for student aid while the black soldiers were pushed into things like barbering, which is a very respectable field. And now I look at it today, you can make a lot of money as that, but everybody don't want to be a barber. But basic things, while many of their Caucasian counterparts were allowed to take the GI bills, as it's called, and go into much more lucrative fields that would create much more, excuse me, a much more sustained and higher grade of life. They all have been shot. They all have been wounded in the same battles, and they should be allowed to take the GI bills and do the same things. So that created a more of a disparity. So you add the disparity from slavery, which some people calculated up to $2 trillion. Some people calculated up to $2 trillion. Some people calculated at $18 trillion. Trillion. With a T. Get this book. Get the book. Breaks it all down mathematically per person per capita for an extended period of time. How many hours they would have worked times how many years they would have worked times how many individuals it was. You can get between two and 18 trillion dollars. So add that to Jim Crow, which they say another several hundred million dollars was extracted in the free labor that went on for that 75 to 80 years of having, quote unquote, the black codes and people being able to put back in chains. The loss of life, the loss, the free labor, the loss of time to create and cultivate and build up your family's wealth. Add to that the sharecroppers who were in bad contracts and had to constantly be working from a debt because they had to borrow out the seed and the equipment, clothes, etc., food, lodging, 
lodging fees that they needed to work until the grounds all year. They were constantly working from a deficit, even if they made money. Most of the share crop, most of the planters would tell them they hadn't made a dime. Most of the people that owned the plantations so oversaw them, told them they were always working from a deficit. Couple that with the GI Bill. Couple that with the poor education. And there are financial values to the quality of all of these things. And not only are they financial values to the quality of them, but their financial values to how much you can make with those things, how much you can make with a poor education, how much you can make sharecropping and always living at a deficit, which which we I guess we would think is already zero or a negative, right? How much was made off of people in slavery, how much all of those things come together. Then add redlining onto that. For those that don't know, redlining is when they literally would divide where you could buy a home based on your your skin color, your social economic status. And homes in certain places lose value. Homes in other places gain value and gain it drastically. You add all of these things together and you get the black tax, the cost of being black in this country and how that tax has never been paid. And the issue has only been exacerbated or stretched out over time. And you telling me you're going to give people twenty five thousand got up to twenty five thousand dollars and they better use it to pay for housing. Excuse me. They better use it to pay for housing. And let me guess, they better buy a home in Evanston, right? Nobody else is disgusted by this. They better use the money. Oh, we'll, we'll put the money into the homes for you. You know, we'll take care of it. Because you niggas is too dumb to do this shit. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. And I'm here for it. Let me know if you think I'm bugging. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. The discussion on reparations has been ongoing and controversial in the U.S. since slavery was abolished in 1865. Originally, reparations was proposed to make amends for slavery, which built the nation's wealth, but excluded black Americans from it, as did Jim Crow. Jim Crow absolutely built this nation's wealth as well. We're not going to ignore that additional 75, 80 years of free labor. We definitely will not. We're not going to ignore what they did with those GI bills. I'm good enough to get shot, but I'm not good enough to take my GI bill and go to the same type of school as the, the guy who I saved. As the guy who didn't get shot next to me, who just happens to have a different skin tone. Nah, we're not doing that. For decades, the promises often invoked the phrase 40 acres and a mule, which also gets broken down in the book, The Black Codes. And if you look at how much that would have cost them to do, it would have been only two. Per if they would have given all of these slaves 40 acres and a mule as they promised them, it would have only equated to 2% of all the money they made off of them during slavery. So they wouldn't even give them a 2% head start, y'all. The Black Codes. Read the book or watch the documentaries. Watch the lectures that he gives at Google and other places around the city. Amazing. It'll blow your mind. I think I'm going to watch it later today because this is, 
I'm baffled that people let this kind of stuff even exist. Today, Evanston is the first city in the U.S. to fund reparations, committing $10 million over the next decade. So a million dollars a year. To repay black residents for the wrongs accumulated across and accumulated losses incurred by the generations of racism. Rue Simmons says she didn't start her elected career even discussing reparations. It was not something I had planned to pursue. I was looking at data, she continued. I was looking at what we had done. What more could we do? And reparations was the only answer. She explained that any more of the status quo would sustain the oppressed state and the disparity that we have and that we have had for years. That's all it could do more of the same. The only legislative response for us to reconcile the damages in the black community is reparations. Rue Simmons and her colleagues had the support of local historian Dino Robinson in building the case for reparations. Robinson is the founder of the Shorefront Legacy Center in Evanston, an archive dedicated solely to chronicling and celebrating the local black history that had long gone ignored. In a 70-plus page report, Robinson documented discrimination and racism in Evanston that dated back to the late 1800s. Okay, that's cool. Some other, I'll check out her report, but some dope reports that I would give y'all to read and in addition to reading the black tax is what we get wrong about reparations, which was done by MIT professor, Duke University professor, but he also, you know, is a scholar from MIT, William Darity, a.k.a. Sandy Darity, William Sandy Darity, Professor Darity is a is an economist by trade. So money is his thing. And he put together this amazing report. You can't get out of reparations. You can't get out of this wealth gap through having businesses, through education, through jobs. You can't even get out of this wealth gap through home ownership. It's just too, too wide. It's too vast. It's too, it's too massive. At this point, the money has to be paid back. The resources have to be given back to the people. And if you're not going to do that, then you are consciously saying we are okay with these people continuing to live in this condition even though we know the direct causes of it even though we've seen people like the chinese the jews the italians etc be paid out reparations and restitutions because we understand that for them to get themselves back to the place that they need to be where they can be self-sufficient and prominent in the world and in society this needed to happen but when it comes to black people, uh, we'll give y'all up to 25000 God use it for housing. Why are we allowed to be the crumbs on the plate? And why do we have to be dictated what we should do with finances? You give us the finances just like you, you freely spent the finances y'all got. We should be able to freely spend the finances we get. This shit is disgusting, man. This shit is absolutely disgusting. The one comment I often hear is, I did not know, Robin said, Rob, I did not know there was segregation in Evanston. I did not know your housing mortgage is higher than mine, but we have the same income. 
but records paint a clear picture of exactly how racial inequality developed in the city. Black community members were moving throughout Evanston and forming black pockets in the city of Evanston, Robinson said. It caused the white community to start panicking. Like, what do we do about this? Article reports and studies were conducted on the black community to discuss what should be done. And Evanston, like many cities across the country, embraced the practice of redlining. Redlining was a federal project to determine the market values of areas and neighborhoods, Robinson explained. There were four categories, A being highly desired, D the lower, lowest value properties. The D areas were usually relegated to the black community. D was always in red. And that has backfired on them a couple times too, but they've made sure to get to, to reclaim all the good lands that were in those red areas because there's been stories of young ladies and and young men who were received bad lots of land and oil end up being in the land or gold end up being in the land. So that, that has backfired on them sometimes as well. There's, there's a maze, there's tons of dope stories on that and they always end up putting some, some caretaker quote unquote from outside the race to come in and, and look over those funds. It's disgusting. The only option to buy in Evanston was basically the Fifth Ward. Banks in Evanston were not loaned to black families for housing and real estate agencies would not show you anything other than Fifth Ward. In the late 1940s, the city also demolished some homes belonging to black families that were outside the Fifth Ward or physically took them from their foundations and moved them into the red line area. The historic redlining impacts our community today. The map still is the map of our like think about that they would pick up a house and move it so they'll redo the piping the foundation and all that for a home just to get it out of their white community today white people in evanston make nearly double the income and have double the home value of their black neighbors according to the most recent u.s census the racial wealth gap the racial wealth gap is prevalent nationally, with black Americans possessing less than 15% of the wealth that white Americans have. According to the Federal Reserve 2009 Survey of Consumer Finances, there are some reports that black Americans have less than 2% of this country's entire wealth. Let me say that again. There are some reports that the... 15 to 20 million black Americans in this country only hold about 2% or less of its wealth. 1 point something 0% of the whole country's wealth. Less than 2% of the country's businesses, less than 2% of its wealth. Doing anything besides figuring a way to resolve that the same way it was resolved for all other nations only shows we don't care. I don't want to hear, oh, that was so long. I don't want to hear... None of that stupid shit. I don't want to hear it because we can have the conversation about how it impacts right now. Black residents who live through redlining and Evanston and the descendants are eligible for reparations. That includes 90-year-old Benjamin Gaines Sr. and his son Benjamin Gaines Jr. The Gaines family moved to Evanston in 1959. We did something that not a lot of whole black families were able to do in Evanston. That's build a house from the ground up. But Gaines Sr. said there's no doubt in his mind that the two-year process to find a plot and getting financing was much more difficult than it would have been for a white man. The contractor, he said, you find a lot everywhere in Evanston and I'll build whatever for you, Gaines Sr. said. 
Well, when he said that he meant in the black neighborhoods, it was just the way it was. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, the contractor told him, find a lot wherever and I'll build whatever you want. But in reality, he knew that the contractor meant it better be in the, the, the fifth ward. And that's just what he had to deal with in life at that time. Because there was not enough unity in the black community. <sighs> I don't even want to get into it, man. This shit is just sad reading. Gaines Sr. said he also had big trouble financing his home and that he feels that these problems are still present today. It's that old cliche about the more things change, the more they stay the same. Younger members of Gaines Sr.'s family may say that while modern day Evanston is outwardly progressive, inequality is still a huge problem. Growing up at Evanston for me was definitely good, despite the racism that I faced at Gaines Sr.'s grandnephew, Jared Davis, says. The father of three said he will apply for reparations because it's owed. Davis's kids, 25-year-old Nick and 16-year-old Maya, have also been involved in their family's discussion on reparations, expressing fatigue over having to justify why they're owed with the city's history so well documented at this point. I don't even think it's my job to justify to you like why we need reparations, said Nick. Do you not live here? Do you not know? Did you not see the demographics changing throughout the years? Like, we knew it was racist. Ah. <sighs> Article goes on to say, now, according to Ruth Simmons, the $25,000 reparations benefit for housing is meant to combat a lack of affordability, lack of access to living wage careers here in the city, and a lack of a sense of place. Evanston proposed a novel idea to fund reparations, a 3% tax on newly legal recreational marijuana sales. It's the most appropriate use for the sales tax. In our city, 70% of the marijuana arrests were in the black community. And we're only 16% of the entire community. All studies show that blacks and white people consume cannabis at the same rate. Yet, black people go to jail for it at a 70% rate. Mm -mm -mm. 31-year-old Bill was so named to invoke the broken promise of 40 acres and a mule, House Resolution 40 which has been championed by Danny Glover. This bill was proposed in 1989 by Representative John Conyers. He reintroduced it every year until he resigned in 2017. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee has taken on the mantle. She cites the idea of reparations is unworkable politically or financially as the reason opposition has fought for the bill for decades. Donald Glover testified before the House Judiciary Subcommittee to support H.R. 40 in 2019. Yo, that HR 40 shit is ridiculous. A study of a study of a study of a study of a study. Rue Simmons acknowledges the concerns of some of the community members who feel 25,000 is not enough. 25,000 is life saving for some families right now, she said. But relative to the injury, it's not nearly enough. And I get that. But oh, well, this is what you're getting, nigga. <laughs> This is disgusting, man. This is disgusting. And you better take these pennies with a smile on your face. Talk about thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Or I, I might cut it down. I might cut you down to 20 or, or 19 or 15. This shit is disgusting, man. This shit is sick. 
And that's just his ghetto point of view, man. If you feel differently, his ghetto point of view at gmail.com. His ghetto point of view at gmail.com. Gonna take a quick break, gang. Be right back. Yay. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much for rocking and vibing with me today. Uh, make sure you check back all the previous episodes, listen to all the amazing interviews, the dope insights, the news, views, previews, and reviews. With just a twist of his ghetto point of view. Ooh, 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 ooh. Have a great day. Peace. <laughs>